And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620, or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show. Today we got a lot to talk about. We're going, it is Christmas week, and so we'll talk some Christmas stuff. Uh, but I do want to talk about a couple things that happened last week that I just think need to be addressed. And, and, and I know for some it's going to be like, well, that's a heavy topic for Christmas week, but, uh, but it happened and it, and it needs to be addressed because I, I think we need to, when, when conversations happen in the media, when, when national conversations uh, occur about things that matter, whether it be mental health or, or anything, I, I do think we need to address it. And I think we need to look at it from a standpoint of, at least on this show, we're going to look at it from a biblical worldview, from a gospel standpoint. But I think as a culture and as a society, there's a couple things we need to look at when we talk about mental health and when we talk about suicide and when we talk about uh, a number of other things. And so uh, we'll start there and then we'll get into some things that are happening around the country when it comes to life uh, and abortion. And then uh, we'll go from there. But I want to start with if you're familiar with uh, the Ellen show. So Ellen DeGeneres, she had a DJ on her show that uh, I didn't know is the DJ of her show. I actually knew him from So You Think You Can Dance from years ago. His name is Twitch. Um, and that was kind of his, his, his nickname and great dancer. He played music and stuff on Ellen's show. He was on, uh, he, he hosted a show with his wife, uh, on another network. I mean, he just was kind of a, uh, just a well-liked, uh, you know, personality on, on TV and on social media, had a lot of followers, uh, had two kids, uh, married. His wife had a, had a child from another marriage and, and, uh, he took her in as his own. So from all accounts, good dude, uh, loved people well, and and cared cared about people. Uh, well, last week he took his life. Uh, last week, uh, a couple days after his uh, wedding anniversary, he walked away from the house. His wife said he he left his car. That's not normal. She ran to the police station, which tells me she probably had a feeling. Maybe there were some conversations happening. Uh, in the home that that you know no one else was privy to, but but clearly there was some depression going on, and then they got a, the police got a call that at a hotel close by uh, a man was found dead, and and it turns out he killed himself, and so that's heavy enough, you know, two days after a wedding anniversary, and then leading into Christmas, now this family is dealing with the loss of a husband, of a dad, and uh, and now friends are dealing with the loss of a friend, and and. So, so yes, from a from a standpoint of culture, we we lost a TV personality, but but deeper than that, this family has lost a husband, a dad, uh, friends lost friends, you know, parents lost a son, those type things. But I thought it was interesting because it it, it garnered a lot of uh, social media posts and and statements from big time names, statements from uh, former first lady Michelle Obama and. Uh, statements from big-time actors and actresses and, and social media, and, and even normal folks, normal folks like me. I mean, even even some of our staff sent out a text because they couldn't believe it because they'd been watching and following him for a very long time. It was heartbreaking. When I saw it, it was heartbreaking to think that a man that was 40 years old seemed like he had his whole life ahead of him, seemed like he had everything together. That's what social media does. It makes you think everybody has everything together. Uh, this man took his life, and it was hard to watch because all I could think about was his kids and and his wife. 
Now they're dealing with the loss of a dad and a husband. But I thought it was interesting because as people are mourning the loss of a life here, in the same breath, they are celebrating, in some cases, the the law that we talked about just a few weeks ago in Canada that is allowing for doctor-assisted suicide and uh, euthanasia, not just for those that are terminally ill, but, but now they're, they're allowing that for those that are dealing with mental health, depression. And so in the same way, we, we've talked about on the show how eventually the the abortion narrative runs into itself and what i mean by that well you'll hear you'll hear people that are proponents for abortion saying we need to have all the abortions at any time for any reason also then say that we don't allow for or we're not treating employees the right way right so in in the in the state of new york you had the governor say that you should be able to come to new york and get an abortion all the way up to 9 months and then she attacked Amazon and said Amazon were, were treating their employees badly because they weren't providing maternity and paternity leave to their employees. They were treating those uh, that were trying to have families in a poor way. So, so you have an argument. Now, now look at that dichotomy. You have, in one way, we should be able to end the life of our babies at any time. And at the same time, we're going to be mad at Amazon because they're treating their employees poorly. Because they're not providing child care, maternity leave, paternity leave. And then, then they'll say things like, we're going to celebrate Dick's Sporting Goods and Kroger and some of these other businesses that are going to pay for their employees to go get abortions in other states because there, there are certain states that don't allow for abortions. So Kroger has said, if you're an employee in the state of Tennessee and you can't get an abortion, we will pay for you to go get an abortion in another state. And those businesses are celebrated by our culture, because our culture is saying you should be able to get an abortion anytime you want, and we're going to celebrate these businesses for doing that. They're, what they're missing is these businesses are doing that because it helps their bottom line. They would much rather pay for your abortion than give you the benefits that will allow you to stay home with your child for an extended period of time. They would much rather pay for your abortion than give you benefits that would help you with child care. They would much rather pay for your abortion than provide paternity leave or insurance. You see what I'm saying here? So when, when, when celebrities and when our culture says we need to have a greater conversation dealing with mental health, we need to have a larger conversation dealing with those that are fighting depression, that are seeking to end their life, in the same way that the abortion debate runs into itself, this debate runs into itself when we say things like, we need to have a, a, a greater, larger conversation on mental health. But then they champion a law in Canada or in Oregon that allows for euthanasia. So we're heartbroken when, when this man takes his life at 40 years old. We're heartbroken. Why? Because a dad is now gone. Uh, a husband is gone. Uh, we now have a widow. We have kids with no dad. And it's heartbreaking, rightfully so. So these statements that say this is heartbreaking, there are, they are right statements. But then, the same folks that are saying those things 
would say that you should be able to, quote, die with dignity. And so if you go to the hospital and a doctor performs doctor-assisted suicide or euthanasia, then you have now died with dignity. That's not something that we should have a larger conversation on. Like, are you following me? And the nonsense that we, we, are, we are dealing with in our current culture? Because how are we talking out of both sides of our mouth? It, it's heartbreaking when, when Twitch, when this fella takes his life, and we need to have a larger conversation and deal with the mental health crisis that we face in our society, while also at the same time, you have these folks saying that we need to have euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicide for the terminally ill, but also for those that are facing mental health crisis. How do those line up? So are we saying that, that it's heartbreaking because this guy took his own life with a gun? It would have been better had he been in Canada, went to his doctor, said, I'm depressed, I can't continue, and the doctor took his life, then we say that's brave and that's dying with dignity. What's the difference? What's the difference? So this is what I've been wrestling with over the last week. Because in my viewpoint, what happened with this guy in California taking his own life is heartbreaking. And what's happening in Canada with doctor-assisted suicide and euthanasia is heartbreaking. It's not brave. It's not needed in a society or culture. It is heartbreaking. And so, yes, we do need to have a conversation on mental health. We do need to have a conversation on depression. But I, I, I'm afraid that, that the conversation that needs to be had is one that nobody wants to have. Because what was said? What was said over the last week was it looked like he had everything. He looked and seemed so happy. His family seemed so happy. They seemed like they had it all together. He would dance on social media and he would smile and it's because social media is not real life. But we now live in a way, in, a, in an age, where many of us believe it's real life. And so we, we get our, our identity in those likes, in those comments. And when the camera is off, we feel lost and alone. And we're not making real connections with real people in real time. We, we're making connections with people online that aren't real connections because we don't know who they are. And we say things like, you know, if you need anything, reach out. Let us know. And, and that's nice. But, but many people are in such despair, they're not going to reach out. Or the signs aren't going to be there. Or they feel as if they can't have that conversation. It's a similar debate on the abortion issue. You have, you have women facing unplanned pregnancies and they feel the pressure of society and culture and family and social media to, to say, I'm going to choose my, my dreams over my baby. 
I'm going to choose the career ladder over my child, and I feel the pressure that I have to do that. I can't have a baby right now. Instead of a society that comes along them and says, no, you can do this, and you're not going to be alone, and we're going to create environments that allow you to be the mom that you need to be and to be the dad that you need to be and to 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 have good jobs and, and those type things. And No, we're not doing that. We are discouraging them from having children. And in the same way, in society, if you are dealing with depression or you are dealing with mental health issues, Michelle Obama puts out a statement saying it's heartbreaking and we need to have a conversation about mental health and depression. I agree with that. But at the same time, those folks are saying that. They're also saying we need to end the life of unborn children all the way up to nine months and... We need to have euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicide, not just for terminally ill patients, not just for those that may be in a vegetative state, but, but also for those that are facing mental health crisis. And so if you are in depression, facing depression and facing a mental health crisis, and you hear the message from Canada and other places that, you know what, it may be best that you just not be here anymore. That the remedy for what you're dealing with is actually death. You see, that's the culture of death that, that is beginning to, to populate the narrative. And it's sad. And it's heartbreaking. Now, I will say that we are having a bit of, of a unity coming around those that are saying, hey, the law in Canada is has gone too far. You do have some people on the left, along with people on the right, saying what's happening in Canada is going too far. But, but here's why that's hard. Because when you're saying, when, when you're saying that some lives have value and others don't, which is what you say when you say abortion should be allowed up to nine months, and when you say that, well, in some cases, we need doctor-assisted suicide and euthanasia. And then you say suicide's terrible and we need to have a conversation about mental health. You, you can't have all those together. You're speaking out of both sides of your mouth. There's no consistency there. And so pray for the family of this 40-year-old man. Pray for his kids. Pray for his wife. And pray we do have a conversation. But it's one that says we're not going to throw away those that are struggling. We are going to rally around them. That's the message that needs to be heard. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation today, there's a piece over at National Review that I want to talk about uh, concerning some conversations that are happening in D.C. when it comes to abortion and protecting pregnant workers. Again, this is where we're at. So we have folks saying things like, hey, we need to, we need to have better workplaces for pregnant women. We need to provide childcare benefits and maternity leave and those type things. But at the same time, they're promoting abortion. That's a hard, that's hard to make sense of. So the piece over at National Review says this, as the conclusion of the lame duck Congress approaches, there is mounting pressure on the Senate to pass the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. On its face, the, th this act fills a gap in employment law, requiring that employers give women, though the act fails to use the word woman throughout, of course, 
reasonable accommodations for pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions, unless such accommodation would pose an undue hardship on the employer's business. When the Civil Rights Act was passed in 1964, many assumed that Title VII, prohibiting discrimination in employment based on sex, covered pregnancy and childbirth, since the capacity to get pregnant and bear children is something inherent in being a female and part of what makes women distinct from men. In the 70s, however, the Supreme Court ruled that sex discrimination did not cover pregnancy discrimination. What a far cry from the Supreme Court's more recent Bostock, uh, Bostock decision expanding Title VII's sex discrimination protections well beyond biological sex distinctions to sexual orientation and transgender status. Congress responded to the Supreme Court by passing the Pregnancy Discrimination Act of 1978 to amend Title VII and to clarify that Quote, the terms because of sex or on the basis of sex include but are not limited to because of or on the basis of pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions, end quote. The PDA included an abortion exclusion to ensure that no employer would be required to, quote, pay for health insurance benefits for abortion, except where the life of the mother would be endangered if the fetus were carried to term or except where medical complications have arisen from an abortion, end quote. The act clarified that it shall not preclude an employer from providing abortion benefits or otherwise affect bargaining agreements in regard to abortion. Abortion missing from the PDA is any affirmative duty of employers to accommodate a pregnant or postpartum mother. Pregnancy and childbirth affect a woman physically and can result in medical complications or progressive physical limitations that impact her work. The Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 provides a duty to accommodate in the workplace, but pregnancy itself is not considered a disability under the ADA, and few pregnancy or childbirth-related medical issues qualify for disability accommodation protections. So the act would fill this gap and give women needed workplace accommodations. However, in its current form, the act raises major red flags, especially as it relates to abortion-related accommodations and religious liberty protections. So the act is a strangely drafted bill, perhaps strategically so for some. Instead of amending Title VII, as the PDA did, to add a pregnancy accommodation requirement, the act would be a standalone law. The act's drafters picked provisions they liked on the Title VII, in the Title VII and ADA frameworks while discarding those they did not like, such as Title VII's religious organization exemption, and adding additional provisions not either in Title VII or the ADA. The act also gives the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission binding rulemaking authority, a power the agency does not possess under Title VII and the PDA. In effect, the act would create a patchwork of non-discrimination protections in the workplace that will lead to practical problems as employers and employees try to navigate the varying legal obligations and the protections for pregnant women under the PDA and the act spoken uh, before. An open question under the Act is how expansively related medical conditions would be interpreted by the uh, EEOC and the courts. So the EEOC's non-legally binding pregnancy guidance states, Title VII protects women from being fired for having an abortion or contemplating having an abortion. Courts have generally found that abortion is a pregnancy-related medical condition and that discrimination based on abortion is sex discrimination under the PDA. Aside from the PDA's abortion exclusion for health insurance benefits, indeed, prominent abortion groups such as Planned Parenthood and NARAL Pro-Choice America are among those who advocate support 
for the PWFA, the act that we've been talking about. It is almost certain that related medical conditions will be interpreted to include abortion, requiring all employers, even pro-life or religious organizations, to provide abortion accommodations. The federal government should not force any employer, pro-life, religious, or otherwise, to be in the business of facilitating abortion. Additional obligations under this act not found in Title VII or the PDA are that employers are prohibited from coercing, intimidating, threatening, or interfering with any individual in the exercise of enjoyment or enjoyment of any right secured under the PWFA, which would include any abortion-related accommodations. This broad language could be used to require promotion of abortion in the workplace and chill pro-life and religious organizations, exposing employers in violation of the PWFA to potential EEOC investigations, expensive lawsuits, and civil penalties. Further, it is likely that some will claim that this act and any associated EEOC regulations preempt state abortion laws. The Biden administration has made related state preemption arguments under other federal laws and regulations, such as DOJ's misdirected emergency medical treatment and labor act lawsuit seeking to enjoin Idaho's law protecting unborn life and the department of veteran affairs lawless interim final rule, allowing the VA to provide taxpayer funded abortions, even in pro-life states in a weak attempt to appease those who are concerned about abortion related accommodations, This act provides that it would not require, quote, employer-sponsored health plan to pay for or cover any particular item, procedure, or treatment, or to affect any right or remedy available under any other federal, state, or local law with respect to any such payment or coverage requirement. Democratic Senator Bob Casey stated on the Senate floor, under the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission could not issue any regulation that requires abortion leave, nor does the act permit the EEOC to require employers to provide abortions in violation of state law. Republican Senator Bill Cassidy opined, quote, is it possible that this law would permit someone to impose their will upon a pastor, upon a church, upon a synagogue, if they have religious exemptions? The answer is absolutely no. The Title VII exemption, which is in federal law, remains in place. It allows employers to make Employment decisions based on firmly held religious beliefs. This bill does not change this. And then the author of this article says this. It is disingenuous to claim that the act will not require abortion accommodations and will provide appropriate religious liberty protections while refusing to amend the act to say just that. Here's the here's the thing. We, We are being told to just take the word of the abortion lobby. We're being told, oh, nothing's going to change. You know, you won't have to. As a religious organization, it's the same thing we saw with the Marriage Act. They'll, they'll say things like, this isn't going to change religious freedom. You'll be able to continue to operate the way you operate at the church, at a nonprofit, at a ministry. But then they refused to put in the language amendments that specifically said that. So why are you refusing to put in amendments that say specifically that, that, hey, we're going to continue to protect religious freedom? Churches will be able to continue to operate the way they operate. Synagogues will be able to continue to operate the way they operate. Nonprofit ministries will be able to continue to operate the way they operate. They, they say things like, this is what politicians do. Oh, it's not going to do anything. Nothing's going to change. You just keep going about your business. Nothing to see here. Yeah, no, that's not true. Put it in writing. 
And, and we've seen law after law after law after law have good intentions, but ended up doing terrible things. All the pro-life folks are saying is, hey, let's, let's just make sure we spell this out because we want protection. Let's make sure we spell this out. But again, this is where things don't make sense. This is where logic goes out the window. Congress is seeking to pass a law that would, quote, protect pregnant women and allow them environments to operate and work, while also saying we need to be able to provide abortions all the way up to nine months and taxpayers should pay for it. How do you have both of those positions? It makes no sense. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation, look, there's a, there's a few things that, that I know this particular show is, is going to be, uh, and really most of the shows we do here every week are a little heavy. I mean, we're dealing with a topic that a lot of folks don't want to talk about when it comes to abortion, when it comes to life, when it comes to the culture of death, mental health, fatherlessness, like we're dealing with the heavy topics that are facing our, our, our country, our nation, uh, our culture, our world. Our churches. And, and the only reason I bring it up it isn't because I'm a Debbie Downer. Look, it isn't because I just want to talk about things that, that get people upset or get people riled up. It's just because I want to, I want to provide a space for that conversation that as you're listening to your radio shows, your podcast or, or whatever it may be, you're looking for ways to, hey, maybe this is something that I, I, I need to be aware of, uh, and, and that I need to pray about or work through. But it's also because these are things that, that our kids are going to be dealing with, uh, that our neighbors are going to be dealing with. And, and it, we, we see that even there's a, there's a piece over at CNBC that the headline is, Gen Z is rethinking college and career plans in post-row America. Listen to this. There's an endless list of factors students consider while choosing a college. Size, cost, campus life, proximity to home. But since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June, removing, now listen to this language, removing nearly 50 years of federal protections for abortion and giving the states the right to make the procedure illegal within their jurisdictions, abortion access has become an increasingly influential consideration in students' college decisions. Now, I want to stop there for a second and just have a a little lesson here in, in language and in narrative. They... They paint that and say what they say, erasing nearly 50 years of protections. So when you read that, you're going, well, well, that sounds that sounds bad. Why are we erasing 50 years of protections? But I wonder what that author would do. I mean, I'm, I'm confident I know what they would do. When the Supreme Court years ago overturned what what we have seen marriage to be. For centuries, the way they the way they painted the narrative then was very different. You know, starry decisis don't matter then because times have changed. Super president don't matter then because times have changed and people have evolved. So instead of saying things like the Supreme Court ruled to erase the definition of marriage that have, st- that have stood the test of time, they said things like, now we have reached a level of progress that, that we always wanted to be. 
You see, language matters. Narrative matters. What if this author was writing about Brown v. Board of Education or fill in the blank? I mean, the, the, the cases that the Supreme Court overturned where super precedent was, was in place, but they did the right thing. Now, that's what the Supreme Court is there to do, to interpret and to see if things are constitutional. Now, I would argue that in some cases they, they missed the mark, certainly, just like those on the left would say in some cases they missed the mark. But there's a reason why a, quote, objective journalist would write about the overturning of Roe that, that it erased or removed nearly 50 years of federal protections. They're wanting to paint the narrative in a negative light. They're wanting to delegitimize the Supreme Court. Well, when, when they do that, and we talked about this last week, they change language, and they, they all get the memo. Now, I don't know how that goes out. I don't know if it's via email or, or what, but we know they get the memo because all of them start writing like that. It's no longer a heartbeat. It's now cardiac activity. It's electric pulses. They all write like that now. So, so somebody sent a memo out somewhere because up until that change, it was all always considered a heartbeat. And now we have Roe v. Wade being overturned, and they, they've all gotten the memo. They're all pushing a narrative. The article goes further. Of those planning to enroll in an undergraduate program sometime in the next 12 months, 39% said that the course decision to overturn Roe v. Wade will affect their decision to attend college in a particular state. That's according to a Best Colleges survey of 1,000 current and prospective undergraduate and graduate students. Similarly, 43% of current undergrads said that the overturning of Roe has led them to question whether they want to remain in the state where they are attending college or transfer elsewhere. In post-Roe America, location has never been more important to prospective and current college students deciding where to pursue a degree or build their career. Growing up, Lexi McKee Hemingway uh, and her friends in South Dakota traded horror stories about people in their neighborhood who wanted an abortion and couldn't get one. McKee Hemingway recalls once hearing about a pregnant young woman who couldn't access an abortion and had a horse kick her in the stomach, hoping it would cause a miscarriage, miscarriage. She died from her injuries. Hearing such stories terrified this student and inspired her to fight for better local access to reproductive health care. The 21-year-old, now a junior, studying political science at the University of South Dakota, is the president of Students for Reproductive Rights there at South Dakota. The Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe in June triggered an abortion ban. South Dakota lawmakers passed over 15 years ago that outlaws the procedure except when necessary to save the life of the pregnant person. See, pregnant person, not pregnant woman. Language matters. This student says she's been approached by several students since the start of the school year asking for help with attaining an abortion. And with each request, this student says she becomes a little more convinced that she does not want to stay in the U.S., after she graduates from college in 2024. I want to leave the country. Let me stop there for a second. She wants to leave the country because of our abortion laws. I wonder if she's done any research. Because up until Roe was overturned, our laws on the books match China, North Korea, when it comes to abortion. Is she going to move to China? Is she going to move to North Korea? Where is she planning on going out of the U.S.? 
where, where her rights would be so much better. Please, please tell me. You see, most of the world, most of the countries in our world have restrictions on abortion. Most of the world do not treat abortion like California or New York treat abortion. But, but please tell me again how you're going to move out of the country. Because your, your rights would be better out of the U.S. when it comes to abortion. Please tell me. Now, if this student said, I'm going to move from South Dakota and I'm going to go to, say, Cal State. I'm going to go to somewhere in California or somewhere in New York. Well, okay, that, you know, there's no restrictions in those places. But, but she specifically says she's going to go out of the country. That tells you the ignorance of folks that, that are acting as if there's, there's places around the world in large numbers that allow for more abortion. You, you move into China, North Korea... The article goes further. There's nothing more unnerving. This is the quote from the, from the student at South Dakota. There's nothing more unnerving than seeing the fear in people's eyes that they will either lose their job or their parents won't love them anymore if they can get an abortion. But that's the reality of how people think and feel about abortion here. While South Dakota has always had restrictive abortion laws, June marked the first time the procedure was almost entirely banned. The student says, I have a lot of mixed feelings, rage, fear, disappointment, most of all, though, I have a hard time coming to terms with the fact that this is the United States now. It's a really scary time to live here. Now, again, all Roe did was put it back to the states. She can literally cross the border and go to another state that would allow for the abortions that she so desperately desires. Some college counselors are seeing a growing number of high school students factor state laws into their college decisions amid heightened concern from them and their families about the landscape of abortion in college towns throughout the U.S. Kathleen Moore, the founder of Vox Cambridge College Consulting, says one of her ad advisees, a soccer player, recently turned down an athletic scholarship to attend a competitive school in South Carolina, citing legislators' attempt to pass more restrictive abortion laws in the state. He told me he wouldn't consider going to school there on ethical grounds. So you have a boy that plays soccer. And he's not going to go to South Carolina because he can't knock up any girl that he wants and get an abortion. Is, is that what we're now celebrating? Is that what we are celebrating? And excuse the phrasing if that makes you uncomfortable. But, but when, when we hold up fellas, and I won't call them men because... Because a man is going to stand up for his responsibility. A boy will do what this guy's doing and say, hey, if I, can't, if I can't get girls pregnant and have an option of an abortion, I'm not going to go to that school. That shouldn't be something that we are celebrating. We have dad's class every month, and I'm meeting with dads that are, that are taking on the responsibility of being a dad, that are doing the heavy lifting, that are having the tough conversations, that are making the tough decisions to be the dad that they've been called to be. And it's not easy. And I could go on and on on this article, but we are at an interesting place in culture 
where our young people are coming up saying, I'm not going to go to school here or there, depending on if I can have abortions or not. All the while forgetting or neglecting that they have a chance at life. But it goes back to what we talked about last week. Sometimes we as parents and married folk, we struggle to, to let the world know just how amazing it is to be a dad, to be a mom, to be a husband, to be a wife. Put in the work, folks. Put in the work. It's worth it. We'll be back. So as we finish up today, we're going to do so on a positive note. As we come to uh, the end of the year, we're approaching Christmas, we're coming to the close of 2022, I want to I get, highlight what's happened at Hope Resource Center. Over, see, our overall patient numbers increased by 5% over the past year, and our pregnancy test appointments increased by 17% alone. Listen to this, 1,981 individual patients served. 778 pregnancy tests, 561 ultrasounds, 519 STD tests, 123 well-woman exams, 145 Hispanic patients seen, 79 Hope Mom participants. Actually, that's 80 Hope Mom participants. 21 Hope Dads participants. That, that was a new program we, we implemented this year. Over 80 baby showers. Six Hispanic moms mentoring being mentored, and, and six Hope Moms given a baby shower at City Hills Church. So City Hills is now partnering with us and doing some work with moms that have multiple children. That all happened in the year of 2022. It also happened in conjunction with Roe being overturned. Our 25th year of service at Hope has been one of the best yet for a number of reasons. And so when we hear things and when we read articles and, and see that there's some folks saying, well, I'm not going to go to that state or I'm not going to go to this state. I mean, we're in a college town here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so if people are, are making decisions about whether or not they're going to come to the University of Tennessee based on whether or not they can obtain an abortion. That breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because they're, they're being sold a, a bunch of lies. And if a young lady finds herself pregnant at the University of Tennessee, there are resources available for her to continue to get her degree and to have her baby. Again, those two things are not in conflict with each other. Now, culture would say otherwise. The abortion lobby would say otherwise. The young lady at the University of South Dakota who wants to move out of the country would say otherwise, but they've been sold a bill of goods that is all nonsense. And I could show you patient after patient, mom after mom, dad after dad, that has made the hard decision to choose to, to parent their child, and they don't regret it one bit. Folks, we got to put in the work. And, and I'll just be honest. When Gen Z comes up and they're, they're saying the things that they're saying, some of that lies on our shoulders. Because for some of us, we've checked out when it comes to parenting. We, we expect other folks to parent our children. 
It's easy to do that. It's easy to do that with our current culture. It's easy to do that with social media, with TV, with we got to pay the bills so I can't be home. I got to go to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, I get it. It's easy. There are certainly days where I check out and regret those. But, but we have a generation that's been told a lie. What, what should be happening in an ideal world is our kids are being raised in a home where they say, you know what I want? I want a marriage like mom and dad. I want to be a mom like my mom. I want to be a dad like my dad. I want to love my community like my parents. I want to, I want to continue on their legacy. But instead, what, what sometimes happens is our kids are growing up and they're saying, the last thing I want is a non-loving, unhappy relationship that my parents have. The last thing I want is to be the dad like my dad or the mom like my mom. So what are we doing to, to make these adjustments, to change trajectories in our culture? Now, now for some of us, we, we would love to change the world. That, that may not be possible, but what we can do is we can change our home. We can change the life of our son, of our daughter, of our circle of influence, whatever that looks like. And so how are we engaging the community? How are we engaging our family? Because it's worth it. And those numbers that I just cited from our work at Hope over the past year, they're not just numbers. They, are, they represent people that bear the image of God. Moms, dads, babies that bear the image of God, and that requires something of me. So are we prepared to answer that call as we approach Christmas and we think about what Jesus did for us, what our God did for us, that he came as a baby to a young mom, an unplanned pregnancy for Mary and Joseph, and he changed the world. Like that's what we're going to be remembering this week. I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. We'll talk to you soon.